passenger domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and ensure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our listeners to ordain and establish this podcast for the United States of Small Talk. All right, I'm That's back. The amble. <laughs> Beautiful. And three, two, one. Spall Talk, the only podcast where two siblings talk about the life and career of Timothy Spall. On uh, today's Antifa Super Soldier Super Special, we, are, we will be discussing 2011's Reuniting the Rubens, directed by Yoav Factor. I'm Neil Jacobin here with... I don't want to interrupt us and get us derailed so quickly, but what year did you say this came out? 2011. Well, that's the one it said on uh, Amazon Prime. It says 2010 on IMDb, so it might be like in that little end of the year spot. That's what I'm asking, because I saw it as 2010, but then I also saw it as 2014 at some point, so I was not really sure when it came out, but keep yeah, doing your thing. I'm not sure where that 2014 came from, yeah, but anyway, we will be discussing... You're Neil Jacoby. I'm Neil Jacoby, here with my brother Eric Jacoby. What and up? Eric, do you have a question for me? Yeah, who's Timothy Spall? Timothy Spall was born on the, on the 27th of February, 1957. Eric. What? It's two days away from Mitchell's birthday. Timothy oh. Spall in this movie plays Lenny Rubens, uh, a genial, old, grumpy uh, Jewish businessman with four estranged children who do not like each other because they're also weird and wacky. He's an old fella who just wants to get on his cruise. I've got another question for you. Hit me. Why is tonight unlike any other night? Because tonight we are joined by Ben Walgamuth. Hello. Thank you for having me. What's up, Ben Walgamuth? What is up? Reuniting the Rubens. Uh, ben what? Walgamuth, could you uh, introduce yourself to our guests? Yes, to our hello. Listeners? I certainly can. My name is Ben Walgamuth. Um, you may know me from being one half of the band Flipcoin, but that's unlikely. Um, well, and... uh, your band, your uh, bandmate in Flipcoin, uh, Tom Fulton, was on the podcast before, uh, a few episodes before, talking about the film Rockstar. Yes, yes, Fine. actually. A few yeah. episodes before. I believe that was around ten episodes ago. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, was yeah. a few months back. Yeah. And, uh, I couldn't he... remember the number, so I just guessed. And I did tell him that I would listen to that episode, and then I didn't. Uh, so uh, I'd like to apologize to that. everyone. I got a, I have a big old backlog to get into, to be honest. But um, I'm Maybe glad you that you invited backlog. me. And we're going to reunite some friends. Yeah. Thank We're you. glad to have you, Ben, and we'd like to ask you the question we ask all of our guests. Yes. Ben Walgamuth, what is your favorite Carly Rae Jepsen? Ooh, that's a real good question, but... You know, we ask that to all of our guests, but I still forget it every time. So every you time forget Neil's to ask like, it? 
Well, Neil's the one who asks it, and every time Neil's like, the question we ask all of our guests, and for a second I'm like, what do we ask all of our guests? What's going on here? Do we have any recurring segments on this show? Um, I we will have say, many recurring segments on this show. I will say that uh, lately I've really had um, all that stuck in my head, um, which is nice. Like, it's a nice chilled out one, but I wouldn't say it's my favorite. I think my favorite is L.A. Hallucinations. Buzzfeed buzzards and TMZ crows. What can I say that you don't already know? I mean, that uh, that one note melody at the front of the chorus is just brilliant. Honestly, like I heard that and I was like, that's so good. That's so good. How could you, Carly? <laughs> you know, Carly Rae Jepsen reportedly asked her like producers or managers uh, permission to take a three year vacation or like three year hiatus from making music where she would come back with like a 30 track album <laughs> and they said no which was the wrong answer that's uh, definitely the wrong answer that would be incredible that would be so dope uh, i'd I, be thrilled carla ray jepson having the the uh the prolificity the, the prolificness of little b would be an interesting world <laughs> to live in <laughs> carla ray jepson just releasing like a fucking oh five fuck'em length type tape which is oh five fuckem is like a five hour long Lil B mixtape, which with <laughs> like a be... hundred songs, a hundred plus. That's the the question though. Could could Carly Rae even after three years distill a like a thirty maybe a fifty track record, um, and that has the same like like tight focus of the projects that she is known for? But then again, I mean, Emotion Side B was incredible. I, I checked, and it is 101 tracks that total 5 hours and 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah. If you want to listen to something with uh, fewer tracks than that, but about twice the runtime, check out our 10-hour show, which Ben Walkenmuth was on. Hey. Funkhouse, Funkhouse Berlin. Berlin. Not, not Spall Talk. <laughs> could you guys do a 10-hour Spall Talk, do you we think? Could. I guess we could. Uh, that that will be the uh, Alf Wieders and Pet Marathon episode. Our goodbye with all the E's. <laughs> yeah, so, every episode of Alf Wieders and Pet as like a live stream, like when Shia LaBeouf uh, streamed himself watching all his... On a side note, in this movie, Timothy Spalls, one of his sons is a rabbi, and he looks a lot like Shia LaBeouf. He does. Yeah, you he know? does now that you mention it. He did even before I mentioned it. I, I think it's the beard. Yeah. Is Shia LaBeouf a rabbi, do you think? No. Secretly, on the I'm, inside? I, oh, maybe. I mean, I don't, listen, I can't attest to what the man is secretly, but I know that he is publicly not a rabbi. <laughs> I, I don't think being a rabbi is one of those things you can do in, like, an afternoon, like, getting a, uh, a ministership to officiate weddings. I, I think, like, if you're a rabbi, you are a rabbi, like, as a vocation. Please check out Ministership, my really shitty ministry cover band. <laughs> anyway, let's get into talking about this dang old movie, uh, Sweetest Benjamin. Yes. Would you like to hit us with a short description of what went down in this film? I will do my best. That's how we do it, right? I forget the form every time we do this. All right. Well, unlike some of the other movies that you have covered uh, on this podcast... In Reuniting the Rubens, Timothy Spall is the lead. His name is Lenny Rubens. 
Which brings me to my first problem with this movie, <laughs> which is that it is titled Reuniting the Rubens, but the last name is Rubens. So really, it should be titled Reuniting the Rubenses, a situation that could have so easily been avoided by just choosing a last name that does not end in an S. But I digress. Rubens, Rubens. I ever tell you all about that? Sorry, what? I ever tell you all about Rubens, Rubens? Uh, I know. Uh, we'll talk about it later. If not, get back to the... All right, I'm sorry. The summary is important. Um, yeah. Lenny Rubin, I believe you described him as a businessman. I'm not sure we even get that much information. Um, all we really know is that he is sort of an elderly man. He is a grandfather. Um, he's trying so hard to go on a cruise somewhere. Um, but unfortunately, uh, his mother um, turns out to be ill but also not really, but kind of. Um, and his mother, who we don't actually uh, know the name of, portrayed by um, Honor Blackman, um, decides that she wants to get together the whole family, all of Timothy Spall's children. Um, Spall my children. <laughs> Spall, Spall his children, all Spall four of them. Um, wants to get all of them together for the Jewish ho holiday known as Pesach, which, uh, you know, we're going to have to pronounce a lot of a lot of, of Yiddish words today, which, and I'm going to do a bad job, and I'm sorry. Which, uh, I'm not super knowledgeable about this, but I think that's the same thing as Passover. Are they really? Because they have the Seder, and I've always heard of the Passover Seder. You know what? I just clicked on the link on Wikipedia. It is Passover. They're the same oh, thing. Nice. So nice. that helps. That's good, because I would not know how to... That Yeah, that reframes it a little bit. Still doesn't help a whole lot for me, but that's okay. You learn something um, new about Jewish tradition every day. Every single day. The point is, uh, it's a holiday, and um, and Gran Rubin, Rubens, excuse me, wants to get the whole family uh, together, which consists of Lenny Rubens' four children, all grown up, uh, some of whom... Uh, have children of their own, and all of whom are very colorful and interesting characters. Um, you have British Steve Jobs, uh, also known as Danny Rubens, portrayed by James Callis. You have Andy Rubin, who is uh, an actor. James Callis. Uh, James Callis. James Callis, known for playing Cyrus the Virus in ECW. Is that pronounced? true? No, that's a uh, reference to Don Callis. Ah, yes. Yeah. Cyrus of Alice in ECW, and is now doing a commentary for New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's pronounced Calais. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to James. Um, we also have Andy Rubin. She uh, is an activist. She does work in, I believe, it's the location is described as deep in the Congo, in a, uh, in like sort of a, a location shot. Um, we have Yona Rubin, as portrayed by uh, Hugh O'Connor, who uh, is... Andy Rubin. Andy oh, yeah, Rubin, my mistake. Portrayed by Rona Mitra. My mistake. Um, Yona Rubin, portrayed by Hugh O'Connor, who is a rabbi. Um, and we have, actually, uh, Clarity Rubin, my favorite name of the bunch, <laughs> who is portrayed... Uh, yikes, I'm not sure how to pronounce that name, that first name. Any guesses? Aesir? Aesir? That's not a name I know. Aesir Newman portrays Clarity Rubin, and he is a Buddhist monk. 
Um, so really a whole, just the whole, they run the gamut, this family. And uh, I believe all, that is... All the classic Abrahamic religions. Judaism, Buddhism, capitalism, <laughs> uh, the hippie. <laughs> Okay. So I know point... a lot about religion. I'm something of a scholar. <laughs> That's good. What's what are you going to school for right now, Eric? Uh, history now. Oh, really? I yeah. mean, that I think that I think that's covered in history at large. So, you're a scholar. Look, the yeah. point is this movie is about getting this family of people who just hate each other for the most part uh to come together and have a nice Passover before uh, before Grandma dies, you know? Um, and uh, she actually... Uh, I, I am, by the way, I am going through the entire plot. We're not worried about spoilers at this point. We assume yeah, no, no. that you it's, have... It's, not, I it's mean, not necessarily a spoilable movie. It's not like we're discussing Murder on the Orient Express. You're right. Um, so, as it turns out... Uh, Grand Reuben does make it to the night before the beginning of Passover, um, where she has a housewarming party, and everyone sort of gets along. Uh, and then she uh, she passes away in her sleep. I, I think you mean, like, by everyone gets along, there's a gigantic brawl? There is a brawl, but, <laughs> but she's not really rattled by it, it seems. Uh, like, she's sort it's of... It's just roughhousing. It's just, it's just some horseplay. Um, Some horseplay about Donkey Kong and uh, millions of dollars in flooded mineral mines. You know what kids do. You know it's you know boys will be boys, and activists uh, will flood mines. Well, they'll flood they'll flood them they'll flood them real good. Um, anyway, uh, Grandma Reuben dies uh, on the the first morning of Passover, and uh, they they have they have a bit of a funeral for her. Um, and uh, and Timothy Spall, uh, Lenny, is uh, going to uh, to sit Shiva for Shiva, um, Shiva for uh, for 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 Grand Reuben and uh, Rubens. Gosh, I keep forgetting. It's so unwieldy, linguistically speaking. The point yeah. is, um, Yona, the the rabbi's wife, portrayed by um, I don't remember her name. Oh, Lou Braley, who portrays Molly in Sherlock. Um, she, uh, goes into labor, uh, right at that moment, and so there is a death and a birth at the end of this movie. Oh, so that's why Corbin won. She went into labor. Yes. (laughs) Fuck off. 2010. (laughs) She goes into labor, they go to the hospital, she almost doesn't make it through childbirth, but through the the powers of Judaism and Buddhism combined... Buddhism. Uh, <laughs> oh. Oh man. Yeah. All right. That was a bad one. <laughs> um, the the mother and the child survive. Um, somehow all of the siblings reconcile their differences despite the fate of several African nations. And um, and Timothy Spall finally gets to go on his cruise, and that's sort of how it how it all wraps up. So that is, I I tried to keep it short, but that's about about the whole movie. Short and sweet. You, you did a good job of keeping it short. Uh, <laughs> let's go into our spalling moments and spall wonder. Uh, ben, would you like to start off with one? Yes, I will give you an a spalling moment for sure. Um, there is a point... Wow, this is a character I forgot about. 
Um, Daniel, the capitalist brother, has a son named Jake, who he doesn't really pay any attention to, uh, which is sort of this this dark undertone. Uh, Lenny sort of takes care of him a little more. There is one part toward the beginning of the movie, shortly after Lenny figures out he's not going to be going on this cruise anytime soon, uh, where he is tucking Jake into bed. He sits on the side of his bed and tucks him in real nice. And before he turns out the light, he says to Jake, you know, sometimes, no matter how bad you want something, you just can't have it. <laughs> and then he turns off the light and leaves. Because <laughs> that's real just... Real bummer a, of a bedtime story. Real bummer of a bedtime story. Like, that's just kind of... It's just kind of put out there like that. There's no re redemption. I guess until later. Um, but, like, I don't know. I guess that's a thing you could tell a kid. <laughs> It you was, know, be realistic. It was weird because that was, you know, we'll get into this later, but this movie has some weird tone problems, and that was pretty indicative of it because that was one of the many scenes where you walk away thinking, what was the point of that? Right. Well, am I supposed to laugh? Am I supposed to be like, ah, ha, ha, rough, yeah. Jake? Am I supposed to be like, oh, Timothy Spall is so wise, or am I supposed to be like, oh, that's so sad? <laughs> It was a little confusing, to be sure. Uh, Neil, do you have any uh, any espalling moments? Yeah. Um, actually, uh, I think Eric should go for his espalling moment because I think my espalling moment is the biggest one. All right. Yeah, All yours, right, is, yours is pretty espalling. Uh, but what I had, you know, it's espalling, but it's not really a moment, so it is what it is. But the score of this movie is wildly overused. True. And does not make nearly the impact that they think it does. It has this sort of quote unquote sad piano music that plays at times that essentially is the piano intro at the beginning of Lose Yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and they really think, the director really thinks that's all you need to make a scene sad. And I that is not true. Especially not... when the music isn't even all that sad. It's just like preloaded on your device type and of it, instrumental music you know it's it, the kind of score you'd hear in uh, a Folgers coffee ad <laughs> like it's that one where like the brother comes home for christmas weird incest vibes the best part of waking up is seda in your coffee <laughs> <laughs> why, why is this coffee serve himself coffee <laughs> why is this coffee unlock any other coffee <laughs> <laughs> and the thing about the score is always it always you almost you see it before you even hear it because you know that the sad piano music is going to happen as soon as timothy spall's expression shifts to one of like moderate concern <laughs> <laughs> you hear him go what and then it hits like immediately afterward yeah it one of the weirdest aspects of this was um you know he gets in there he goes he goes to the hospital to visit his mother mm -hmm. they say what room she's in there's this dying woman he comes back and he's like that's not my mother you know there was a miscommunication on his name she says oh rubens oh i'm sorry you're too late and he goes whoa and then he looks down and the sad piano music starts to play and he's like Oh no, she left. She's she's at home right now. She's fine. And then he's just gonna walk out of that hospital like George Michael on Arrested Development. Say the time is here. 
Hey, you know, that's the that's another interesting question. What was the point of that scene? Uh, if it wasn't just to be tonally confusing, was it so that we know for sure that the last name is Rubens with an S? Like, we <laughs> I, really I know. I guess. I I guess they just wanted to throw us for a loop at the beginning I, so that when the heart attack actually happens later, we're like, oh, I guess that was foreshadowing. <laughs> it's foreshadowing if you really don't know what foreshadowing is. Yeah, one thing that foreshadowing isn't is being like, hey, this is going to happen. Just kidding. And then I, it's, it's like one of those jump scares where like a cat jumps out. But it's like, oh, your mother's not actually dead. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it, w- it was weird. So the score was very bad and was highly overused. I think this would have been a much better movie if they just toned that back by like 40 or 50%. And if the score was not just the most generic lobby music. Honestly, any sad scene would have been much sadder had and had more of an emotional impact if there was no music playing probably yeah i can agree with that and i also feel like maybe they did do that successfully once and i didn't notice because i was actually enjoying the film you know what i mean like Possibly. the the soundtrack had a way of just being so present that you had to think about that instead of the actual movie yeah which I think isn't the point. Not at yeah. all. Of a soundtrack. No. It's it, like it's... if you have a really flashy font, you're like, you ruined it because the point is not to be noticed. Right. Yeah, like you, uh, old English is fine for a tattoo, but it, it's not something you want to read, like a yeah. book. It depends on the tattoo. My friend Jeremy has knuckle tats in a sort of like black letter font. I don't know what the hell they say. <laughs> Because he's never held still enough long enough for me to read them. In a way, that's the best kind of knuckle tat. Yeah. I, it's like trying to read an entire novel in Comic Sans. You know, I do feel that Comic Sans, horrible though it may be, is readable. Like, it's really yeah, not... Yeah, yeah, like, it's readable, but it does detract from the mood. It does, it takes it, away it, from it, the experience. It stands, it stands there, and it's like, I, I can sans read there. the words that are... Comic from... Stands... I like I can see the words that are on the page and I can read them, but I th- this font choice is really it, it's taking a little bit of my attention. It's bringing me down, man. This font choice. Like, comic. I I just want to read about the brother Karamazov. I don't want to think about Comic <laughs> Sans. Comic stands. Dear Helvetica, you wrote. I wrote. You still ain't calling. <laughs> I don't oh. know. I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but uh, one time in high school we were given an assignment, write an essay about one area of the school that we thought could, and this was in high school, and I did did not pay attention to anything about school that I didn't have to, so I was like, um, shit, they use uh, Comic Sans on things sometimes, and I don't like that font. I'm gonna write a two-page essay about that, and, like, the teacher, like, read that essay to the class, because he was apparently just so impressed by it. Mm-hmm. Good doubt. Nice humble was, brag, by the way. That was Mrs. Jordan, and I know this because one time she printed something out in uh, Comic Sans, and I was like, really, Mrs. Jordan? This is going to font? This is the font you're going to choose? And she's like, 
oh, we've been having this argument for years. And I was like, I don't think that was me, Mrs. Jordan. I I don't I was that was I, I that was not my teacher for that class. Maybe that teacher shared that essay with the rest of the teachers and that's how Mrs. Jordan found out about it. Possibly. You oh. Jacobis are local celebrities, I think. Just for the Comic Sans thing. <laughs> it is fair. I know you put a lot of work into your podcast. <laughs> eh. But really, I think your I true put a calling lot of work is into our podcast. I think your true calling is uh, is font criticism. <laughs> I do love to be a critic. It stinks. Uh. <laughs> oh, Let's man, we check really... the disease ometer to see we... what disease I'd rather have than read this font. We really need to, <laughs> to start that podcast where we introduce people to the critic by showing them an episode and convincing them to watch the rest of the series. We really should, because I love the critic. Ah, uh, it's 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 so good. Bastic colon. Uh, speaking of uh, speaking of being a critic, I'm gonna move on to my a spalling moment. Yes, please. So after uh, Gran Rubens has her heart attack. Uh, Timothy Spall. This is, is by the way, not her. the one she dies from. Yeah. To be clear. Yeah, we don't actually know what it is she dies from. She just sort of dies oh. in a cut. Like, like in one scene she's in bed. The next scene they're at her funeral. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually no, no, remember no. this was an artful bit of just a nice little a bit of directing on the pack of Yoav Factor. Uh, she, you know, that there's that scene with with. Uh, with Lenny sitting on the side of her bed, right? And she's going to sleep. And then it cuts to an exterior shot and the porch light goes from on to off to oh symbolize that she dies. Get yeah. it? Oh my God. And Just I have to like say, in Tokyo Godfather. I have to say the scene where Lenny finds out that she has died is perhaps one of the only well-directed scenes in the movie, in my opinion. That's fair. Because it's a scene, you know, it's like the morning, Timothy Spall comes out, he sees his children, you know, having breakfast or whatever. He looks out the window, it's all very slow. He, you know, looks up at the, um, you know, at the staircase. His Buddhist son is coming down the staircase, and they just exchange a look, and he just knows. And then next they cut to their funeral. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. that's less uh, strong direction. Then strong acting, making up for a, a, an inexperienced director. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know if we've mentioned it yet, this is the only film that uh, Yoav Factor has directed, and it. For but sure. The scene I'm talking about. So uh, Gran has had a heart attack. She's in hospital. He is at her bedside. She's talking to him about wanting to get the kids back together for Seder, and as part of the conversation, she pulls up her sleeve. To reveal a concentration camp tattoo. You know, she's, ta she's talking about, if I had been just one number off, I would have died <laughs> like my sisters. And that's why I want my whole family together, uh, to, to be together, but not for my future. And there's a line there in this, what is intended to be a, a serious scene about, like, her motivation for getting the family back together. Right. She's like, at least I won't forget my pin number. And that just... That that uh, joke just cracks the entire movie. It is it is oh it it is tasteful. Yeah, and the 
during the scene, like the overbearing lose yourself piano is playing too. Oh, so heavily. you know for a fact that like this is a joke, but we're still sad. We had one chance, entire family together. <laughs> it's the music is like the Onion article that's like six-year-old at 9-11 memorial sternly reminded that we are sad today <laughs> it's like uh you take the opening uh piano bit a thousand miles <laughs> slow that down shift it yeah. into a minor key <laughs> that actually would probably be that'd probably be a good jam to be honest piano? yeah there's a lot of music in this that isn't even all that sad it's just which... there yeah, it makes you wonder, like, you don't really, like, who picked the music for this? The other thing that I thought was notable about that scene um, is that that joke that you're talking about, it does, it comes in, like, it happens kind of right after she rolls her sleeve up to reveal the tattoo. So it's real whiplash. Like, you, you notice her tattoo and you're like, oh, jeez. That's heavier than I thought this movie was going to be. And then she's like, I'll never forget my pin number. And so you're confused, you know, emotionally. And then also you're like, but pin numbers are only four numbers long. <laughs> so oh. it's, yeah, it's a, it's wild. Okay, I I promised we weren't going to bring up this uh, pre-show joke, but I, I've got to. Before the show, we, we riffed on the idea of like, what if someone else had tried making that joke? And just the idea of Larry David trying to make that joke, <laughs> just him standing at an ATM, hemming and hawing before, <sighs> before finally pulling up his sleeve, <sighs> looking at the tattoo, nodding, and putting in the number, while looking from side to side to be like, oh, jeez, I hope, I hope nobody saw me do that, because, like, they, they, they'd think it's... Like, th that is a thing a Larry David character would think. And, like, that image has just stuck in my mind. <laughs> that would legitimately be really funny, in my opinion. But, yeah, that... But the, the way the concentration joke... The, concent the concentration camp tattoo pin number joke here was handled was just strained and off-putting. It and some of the other jokes uh, reminded me of... Did y'all see the movie version of Watchmen? I did but it was so long ago that i don't really remember it i never yeah. did i think i wanted to at the time but like i didn't did y'all read the comic watch yes sorry i'm a scrub well all right it's cool because i'll explain it both in case you know there are listeners who don't know but um there's the main you know one of the main characters dr manhattan uh is this basically a superman character but the way he wanted to become a particle physicist was he originally wanted to be a watchmaker uh, you know, because that's what his father did, and he was trained to follow in his footsteps, and then his father learns about Einstein's theory of relativity, and having found out that time is relative, he goes to his son and says, you know, forget all of this watch business. None of it's worth anything. You need to be a, a, a you know, a physicist, because... Clocks you know, are useless now. Cause, yeah, because clearly none of this matters. And he They've empties made a out. nuclear bomb. You know what they're going to make next? <laughs> Digital watches. <laughs> and so he picks up the sort of, you know, the pocket watch that, that John, who is, turns into Dr. Manhattan later, is working on. And he, you know, dumps it all out. And it's sort of like a formative experience in John's life when uh, he's John's a kid. John's full name, of course, John Ossoff. <laughs> 
in his life. I'm, I'm running for uh, representative district. It's 2017. <laughs> on a side note, John is his name, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. I, I didn't remember for sure. But, John Ostrom uh, is the actual one in the comic. Oh, uh, there we go. Awesome. So it's sort of like a, I don't want to say traumatic, but it is like a weighty, informative experience in his life. And in the movie version, that is sort of boiled down to one line where Dr. Manhattan says, my father was a watchmaker. He quit when he heard that time is relative, which sounds like a bad, like, Bob Hope joke or something. Uh, It's like a Stephen Wright line. (laughs) Yeah, like, is that like, is that like a really, you know, corny joke? Or is this... Because, because his father is his relative, get it? <laughs> Shut up. God fucking damn it. <laughs> that was the joke the whole time. And you're just you're just upset that you didn't get it. I'm too fucking dumb for this. Sorry, team. Uh, I, just, I just no. remembered, like, another moment. You finish with your thing, then I'll, I'll do mine. But yeah, that's what this joke and a lot of the jokes in this movie felt like it felt like a joke that wasn't sure what it was like is it a joke or is it trying to be something serious and either way it doesn't work i what what it reminded me of like just now is um you remember the monster squad you did the squad you did the monster squad well there's there's this line where like this this old man that all the kids have been afraid of uh he 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 does something good i think and, I'm and a side note, like, I don't remember the Monster Squad. What are you talking about? And then he rolls up his sleeve and he's like, I've seen real monsters, and shows a Holocaust camp tattoo. Oh! And like, in this movie about, like, Dracula's and Wolfman, like, they drop that. That's oh. the kind of total thing that happens in this scene in Reuniting the Rubens. It's like in the Avengers when you know, Loki shows up and is have everyone kneel and this old Jewish man stands up and he's like, there are always men like you. Yo, it's like, I you, love that. I mean, yeah, but it sort of seemed like the movie hadn't really earned the level of gravitas that it was trying for. That's a fair criticism. I, yeah. Oh my God. Right. Oh my God. I just looked that monster squad thing up on Yahoo uh, and found a, a Yahoo answers page. <laughs> So the question is, in the Monster Squad, scary German guy, he has the tattoo on his wrist. What does that mean? They were talking about how scary German guy knows a lot about monsters. And then when he closed the door, you could see the tattoo on his wrist. What does that mean? Was he a monster? Please help. (laughs) Oh my god. And, 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 and And the best answer... I had never heard of this movie, so I looked it up and was able to find out that scary German guy had actually been in a Nazi concentration camp, and that was the number tattoo they put on him. It's actually quite common among Holocaust survivors. I'm assuming when they said he knows a lot about monsters, they were referring to the Nazis. I hope this helps. Here's the link I found, and then a link to the character's IMDb page. Oh my god! No, and you're 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 forgetting the best part, which is they list their source, which is getting tattoos since 1993. Oh, <laughs> oh, Yahoo answer! Oh my god! Yahoo, I love you. Was he a monster? 
Yes, and as you know, all monsters get tattoos on their wrists so that everyone knows. Oh, well, no, gosh. actually, the other way around, anyone who gets a tattoo is a monster. <laughs> oh, let's let's move on to our small wonders. All right. Ben, would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to go first. Um, so there, another character that I failed to mention in my summary, um, Daniel the Capitalist has as well as a son, he's really kind of the most fleshed out of any of, of the, the children, the, the younger uh, Rubens is. Um, he also has an assistant at his, uh, at his workplace, at his, his tech company, whose name is Nick. And I love Nick. Nick <laughs> is maybe my favorite character. Uh, and one of my favorite scenes in the movie is one in which Nick is alone in Danny's office because Danny is away <laughs> and Nick works up the nerve to just have a seat at Danny's desk and <laughs> pretend that he's the boss oh. just for a minute. So he's sitting there and my favorite part about it is that he kind of like like bosses some imaginary people around <laughs> and the imaginary person he's bossing around is named Nick. <laughs> <laughs> It's him. He's bossing oh. his himself around. The purest ideology. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's so beautiful, and it, it, it just, I mean, you get this. It's the one moment in the movie where I felt like I got, I got some insight into into a character that wasn't really spelled out for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Like no one had to characterize Nick for me. He just, he owned it himself. Um, Nick, the standout, the spectacular character find of 2011, Absolutely. portrayed by by one Blake Harrison who does a wonderful job. Um, kind of looks like the guy who uh, who was from corporate in like the later seasons of the U.S. Office. That guy. I don't know. Who, I don't remember that guy's name either. Um, Apparently, probably... this was his first. Who went on to role. be in? Um, who went on to be in Silicon Valley? Is that right? Yeah, the guy. Is you the same guy. Yeah. The tall, gangly guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the guy. That tall, gangly guy. Yeah, he plays one of the greatest characters in um, Silicon Valley, which is how I describe almost every character in Silicon Valley. <laughs> it's a good show, folks. Is that one of your uh, recs? I, sure. I wish I could remember like that actor's name because he is a talented guy. Same. Same in that I'm a talented guy, not that I wish I could remember his name. Nice. Just wanted to make that clear. I'm being... Um, Self-aggrandizing. Close enough. I'll take it. Eric, uh, your spall wonder? My spallest of spall wonders, and this is something very spall, uh, during the first half of the movie, um, you know, after he gets pulled off of the cruise ship, you know, when he's trying to get his children to come back to him and when he's, like, you know, going to the hospital to visit his mother, throughout all of this, he's wearing this pretty dope Hawaiian shirt. It's a oh. nice, like, blue and white pattern. Good shirt. Eric. I, I'm a big Hawaiian shirt fan. So. You're a real sucker for Hawaiian shirts. God, I'm such a sucker for Hawaiian <laughs> shirts. They're, they're good shirts. Oh, I found it. Um, the, the guy from the office in Silicon Valley, his name is Zach Woods. Thank you. He's also really good in, uh, in The Loop. I haven't seen that yet. Apparently a recurring character on Veep as well. Yeah, yeah. Hold up, he's in Veep? That's what I'm being told. Who does he play in Veep? Um, Ed Webster in three episodes. 
Okay, three episodes, that's probably like... Yeah, maybe that's in the season I haven't seen. Yeah, it does not ring a bell to me. It's all good. For me, He's good. He's a talented good. guy. All right. And um, my small wonder is also a Nick moment. Uh, at the end of the film, after... Uh, after uh, Danny has been, he has been convinced not to uh, destroy this country in the name of uh, mineral mining. Uh, he calls his guy Nick, and Nick is all uh, face painted up. He's got like a, a a headband thing, and he is just in in his in his army uniform. And he tells Nick to to call it off. Nick's like, oh, all right, boys, pack it up. Budgets cut. <laughs> Budgets cut. And, and there's a shot of like all the the junta people moving around, and they're and they just like, ah, and they just sort of dejectedly start putting everything away. And I love <laughs> that little that that little reaction shot. Yeah, it's he, just... he's dressed up. He's got like the camouflage paint on his face, and he's like, with all due respect, I I don't know if you can make that call. I don't know if we can do that. And he's like, I don't want excuses. It's over. And he goes, okay, <laughs> all right, funny, boys. Oh. Of all the movies this is trying to be, I like that one the best. For sure. The, like, mineral mining one? Yeah, I, that's I, a love, good... I love Nick. The the adventures of Nick. <laughs> oh, yes. His, his sudden promotion and his adventure in the Congo. I like Nick. I actually kind of like Danny as a character. Like, he's a real ass. Yeah, um, yeah. But he's, like, kind of compelling. Honestly, all like the the Rubens children, they all have their own like little charming aspects. True. And even though like the script as a whole is kind of unfocused, I do like the characters it creates and the sibling bonds it creates. I'm gonna have to disagree. Uh, I don't really because here's the thing about all of the Ruben children is that they're all sort of one note characters. Uh, they're all essentially stereotypes. Like, you've got the silly activist and the greedy businessman, you know, the rabbi. I, I, don't, I, I don't remember, like, when Andy was ever portrayed as a particularly silly activist. That's fair, that's no, fair. she's serious. She, well, yeah. She gets it done. Yeah. Yeah. She's I guess an effective I was, activist. I guess I was more talking about uh, the other ones where they're sort of portrayed as one-note stereotypes. None well, of the, them were the, particularly fleshed out, I thought. The Buddhist monk, I, the son especially, I think, is probably the greatest offender of that. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he, he, has he doesn't have a lot of Five or time. six lines of dialogue at, at and, and he is basically, like, the, the, the spiritual one. Literally. And that is most of his character. If, if you were, like, writing this into a book, like, every sentence... Every line that the Buddhist son has would start with, like, the wise man bowed his head and spoke. <laughs> there is no difference between good and bad things, you fucking idiot. Yikes. Yeah. I don't know. I, so I, I didn't, know I, didn't I got think... that drill tweet wrong, but I'm not sure how I fucked it, it up. I believe the actual version is something like, the wise man uh, bowed his head and spoke thus. Uh, there's... It, Act, there is actually zero difference between good things and bad things. You imbecile. You absolute fucking moron. Or something like that. <laughs> that sounded pretty yeah. close. Uh, uh, Sub-recommendation for this episode, uh, at Thrill on Twitter. Mm-hmm. The Turning Point USA diaper kid called him Wint, which is, <laughs> means he's a cop. Okay, here's the tweet. The wise man bowed his head solemnly and spoke. There's actually zero difference between good and bad things. 
you imbecile. You fucking moron. <laughs> so you were right. You just threw an absolute in there. Yeah. Yeah. I have the approximate knowledge of many things. All right. So uh, let's go into the, the broader discussion of this film. Should we talk about Timothy Spall's character first? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, actually, before that, I, w- I just would like to say that I do find it a bit odd that we are doing this very Jewish movie with, as far as I'm aware, an all-Gentile panel here. Thoroughly Gentile, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We really should have done this one with uh, John Hess. Neil, John's not Jewish. Well, I know, but he does go to Temple. That's fair. You got me on that one. He has, like, more experience in the in, in, in the form we're 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 all we're all Gentiles, which you know isn't that surprising? Because it would be weird if like Neil was a Gentile and I was Jewish. That wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, this family has has one very Jewish person, some casually Jewish people, and also a Buddhist monk. So <laughs> it could happen. That is fair. Uh, Danny even says uh, an atheist, a uh, rabbi, and a Buddhist walk into a bar or something like that. He does, he makes a joke and then cancels the joke. He does a <laughs> he does a sick joke cancel. I believe the lines are actually like um, uh, you ever hear the one about uh, the <laughs> the Buddhist, the atheist, and the rabbi who all show up and celebrate Pesach. No, you haven't because it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you hear the one about the rabbi, the Buddhist, the atheist, the other atheist, Timothy Spall, and his dying mother. <laughs> yeah, it's you called ever Reuniting hear the, one, the Rubens. You ever hear the one about the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover? <laughs> you, you ever hear the one about uh, the tinkerer, the tailor, the soldier, and the spy <laughs> uh, walking for par- Passover? I tried to pronounce the Hebrew word for it, but I was like, I, don't, I, I can't do that one. Pesach. You ever hear the one oh, about you the... Pesach. You ever hear the one <laughs> about... Sorry, that's <laughs> me and my own goddamn podcast. Get out of here. <laughs> you ever hear the one about the two households both alike in dignity? <laughs> Fair Verona horror story. Two households uh, both alike in dignity walk into Verona. <laughs> one says to the other, do you bite your thumb at me, sir? <laughs> no, sir, but I do but bite, I do my, bite thumb, my thumb, sir. My favorite part of that is when he means the other guy his side if I say I, and he's like, no. You know, like, there was there was a while when I was like a sophomore in high school um, that uh, Tom, you know, you had him on the show, uh, he and my sister knew that entire exchange from the first act, first scene of Romeo and Juliet. And like at some like sometimes would just kind of go at each other in the hallway, like do you quarrel, sir? Quarrel, sir? No, sir. It was incredible. I was a, I was a fan, but I never learned it. There was a time in my life when I knew like that whole exchange, and that's once upon a time called now. <laughs> but we're not gonna get into. It. Proud of you, Eric. Thank you. Yeah, anyway, um, Timothy Spall's character as we were getting into. Right. Yeah. Uh, I. I... I do like that his, like, entire motivation at the beginning is just, like, I just want to go on this cruise, and, you know, my mom, her friend died, so I gotta, I gotta be there for her, and now she's roping me in to bringing all my kids together, and there are just so many weird twists in just, like, the basic plot of this film. 
It's just disorienting to watch. It's I was, like it certainly is a lot. I was disoriented from the beginning. You just said that her friend died. That's news to me. I mean, she was at a funeral when he got in touch with her, so I yeah, assume. I guess. Wow, you missed that absolutely completely. Right. I remember that. Now that I think about it, that is the plot of the movie I watched. <laughs> I don't know. I have to say, I was kind of disappointed in Timothy Spall's performance. Really? He was okay. Yeah, it, it seemed like he was phoning it in. I've seen him do better. The thing that, like, really, you know, made me realize that it was sort of subpar was when he's informed by the lady that, you know, he's too he's too late for his mother, and the sad music plays, and, you know, he looks like he's about to cry, but he just sort of looks down and... You know, because Timothy Spall has on occasion played a character who is emotional, but, you know, grumpy and repressed so that he doesn't really show emotion. And he can act that very well, but that didn't really seem to be what he was doing. Right. It just sort of seemed like he'd forgotten how to act. Like the scene in BoJack Horseman where he's like, okay, let's do this. BoJack is sad. I'm sad. No, wait, what was the line? What are you doing here? I, I think that Timothy Spall is doing as much as he can with what he's given, but the script isn't very good, and also the director does not seem like... like This is the director's first film, so it really doesn't seem like he's got a lot of experience bringing the best performance out of his actors. Exactly. And I also think like the writing didn't do him any favors, but he did what he could. Like There were parts of this movie where... I thought for a second about how a line would have looked on paper mm-hmm. and realized that it was really not something that anyone would ever say. <laughs> yeah. But that Timothy Spall and also uh, Honor Blackman, they both did really like good jobs of making those lines feel at least normal. That is fair. Yeah. Like, no one in real life would pull up their sleeve to reveal a uh, Holocaust camp tattoo and be like, Oh, <laughs> hold up! Oh, what now? <laughs> now I'll never forget my pin number. <laughs> hold up! Hold up! No, I need you to back up. A what tattoo did you say? <laughs> I I said Holocaust Camp because I said it like that earlier. <laughs> Holocaust <laughs> Camp. I didn't want to try to uh to tr- try to switch it because otherwise I'd probably say like Holocaust oh. Center. <laughs> A Holocaust Camp. I forgot about Holocaust centers. Oh, wow. That happened. <sighs> it sure did. Oh, not sending my kids there next summer, I'll tell you what. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Nothing oh! but bad reviews. <laughs> it's, it's Friday the 13th, but it takes place. I'm going to stop right there. Let's move on. All right. Okay, yeah. Um. I there were most ball shine through. I did shown. like the where he shown through. I really did like the scene where he uh where uh Danny and um Danny Danny and Andy, Andy. are arguing over the uh the the whole Africa thing and he and and uh Danny gives him an ultimatum like either you uh to stop sending her payments or I'm going to have you arrested and he's like uh oh who's going to bring me to the nick then yeah, and, and what it, he it's, does it's is it's a very understated, charming delivery, and he's got like his arms up in the the, the handcuff pose. That was the good. That was a good moment. Yeah, it was good. Timothy Spall is at his best when he's playing like a 
you know, sort of like a genial old man with a twinkle in his eye for a lot of his roles. And that was explicitly in the, like the final scene when they're actually doing the Passover Seder. And he's like, now, why is this not unlock any other night? Because Danny's going to pay attention. And they all laugh. <laughs> and like, yeah. You know, and he's like their, their folksy dad who's making jokes. Like, that was a good scene, and it was sweet. Yeah. It was like until like, that moment they'd forgotten to make Lenny a likable. You know? I gotta say, then... I gotta say, the worst part of this movie was when Lenny is like, I just wanted to play with the rabbit. The rabbit just looked so soft, so I was petting the rabbit. <laughs> but, yeah, there is, like, there is, like, this weird tonal problem, which is not helped by the fact that there there is not a Passover movie canon to compare it to. Like, in, in terms of how a uh, Jewish-British Passover movie is supposed to be. That's not a thing that is really around. Like, you can't compare, like... like, There are... There is a a lineage of Christmas family movies. This is off on its own thing, and the way it's trying to blaze that trail is confusing and odd. I'm trying to think of a Passover movie, and the only one I can think of is Passion of the Christ. There's also The Prince of Egypt. I do wonder if maybe there are, like, a lot of family Passover movies that I just don't know about, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, there is not a, uh, a, a notable, like, like, in the, the public mass consciousness, there, that is not its own section True. of things like Christmas movies are. You couldn't go to Blockbuster. Well, you couldn't go to Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> Rest but, in peace, like, Blockbuster. But, like, because of that, this uh, this really reminded me of, like, Tyler Perry movie in that it is serving its own thing, and <laughs> it's, it's so weird that you can't really, you can't really compare it to anything because it's just so singular, and thankfully this, unlike many Tyler Perry movies, is not about how child abuse is actually cool and good, but <laughs> it's still just as strange. <laughs> You're right. Can you tell the rest of the class what's so funny? <laughs> I don't know if I want to. I I don't know. I was thinking about Tyler Perry movies and other other such movies that you know I don't I I don't think are particularly good. And I just had the thought: Ernest goes to Holocaust camp. <laughs> and I was oh like, Oh my god! I'm sorry. Wow. Oh no. Oh. Yeah, all right. My apologies. Rest in peace, Jim Varney. <laughs> you were so great as the dean from Community. Okay, um, one one subplot we did bring up is um this whole little subplot with Jake. Uh, right. Who, who seems ha- to be rising up the ranks in competitive show and tell, from what we're seeing. Like he does this report <laughs> great on the shower. Passover story. Best teller. I and like he he goes to regionals. Uh, he goes to the regionals in Passover storytelling. Like I, I don't, I don't get like what that competitive is involved in is supposed to. Because we see him doing this report on uh, Passover, where he's just like, and and Pharaoh, Pharaoh the idiot, he went into the sea and got drowned. But <laughs> he's very flippant actually, about it. When we actually see him do the thing he's like at regional for, it's in part of this like 
instrumental, like, no dialogue. It's like the end of an episode of Scrubs, but without JD doing the narration. <laughs> Although, at the end, we do get some Timothy Spall narration. Like, at the very end. Oh my god, Eric. Don't say it. I'm not. But I just want our listeners to know that Eric, he has a darkness within him. I thought of a joke, and I was like, I'm not going to say that joke on the air. I'd send it to that, to Neil. All right, yeah, just leave me out. No, it's cool. No, I'm putting it in the chat, too. I was just going to not have it, and then he said it is. It's bad. We, we it, Listeners, never listen to this. Yeah, all right. It, it's like it's like the Werner Herzog Grizzly Man tapes. Just, just I, I'm listening to that joke, stone-faced. I've never seen Grizzly Man, so this is complete. I saw Little Dieter Needs to Fly, so if you're going to make a Little Dieter <laughs> Needs to Fly joke, I'll be right on board with that. Can I bring up um, a scene with Jake real quick that I sort of forgot about? Uh, but just... Is it the one where he tries to buy time with his dad? That's the one. Oh, my God. It's just this is a scene that, to me, feels like this. I'm sorry. What's our director's name again? Yoav Factor? Yes. It seems to me that this director, and he wrote the movie, too. Maybe, you know, he's he was he was thinking about M- much maybe. Much like Tyler Perry, he is the whole fucking show. He's the whole, the whole, he's the showrunner. Um. I, I'm thinking maybe he was growing up as a filmmaker, you know, not like, you know, he was thinking about making a feature length film, wasn't sure what it was going to be about, but had an idea for a scene between a father and like a child and was like, whatever movie, I'm going to get it in there because it's a great scene, like really doesn't have a lot to do with the movie. And it's again, like it's tonally weird. So what happens is... Uh, it feels like it should be in, like, Jingle All the Way, or, like, one of those movies about where the central character is a father who is neglectful of his son, and, and it's not just, like, a side plot. Right. That doesn't actually go anywhere, because that bit does not affect the rest of Danny's actions. It doesn't even affect the end of the scene. Yeah! Mm-hmm. Okay, look, let me, let me spell this out, because this is actually wild. So, um, Danny is he so first timothy spall says to danny earlier um that he should give jake more of his time and danny you know uses that moment to be like oh so now you're giving me parenting advice dad that's rich coming from you which is (laughs) great from watching you dad (laughs) precisely so then that's followed by this scene where jake is in his room and danny comes in and is just like hey man you okay and Jake says, Dad, how much money do you make in an hour? And his dad's like, Buh, I don't know. Maybe like 300. Like, he doesn't put a unit on it. It's funny. One million. <laughs> the point is, you know, he's doing pretty well. Um, and Jake turns and grabs his, like, piggy bank and dumps it all out on the bed and looks up at his father and says... Then can I have eight minutes? <laughs> Which is could have truly been like heart wrenching in the right context, right? And yeah. then mm-hmm. like that's not bad. And then Danny says, Of course you can. Just give, me, just give me one minute. <laughs> and then he goes out to make a phone call. Then he goes out and calls Nick about the business and it's never addressed again. <laughs> <laughs> On a side note. That's some impressive math. Yeah, oh, totally. What's this kid, like, eight, nine? He's like Rain Man. Like, that's incredible. 
because he was like, because he, he didn't know the figure beforehand, so he knew how much that was, and then divided it in, and then multiplied. I don't need to walk you through what the math was. It was impressive. That's yeah, it's great. Um, he should be doing that competitively instead of show and tell. <laughs> yeah. That that brings to mind like how little we actually get of like the actual history behind this family, because there's like that one where Danny's like, oh, that's rich coming from you. You know, being an attentive father. There's the Donkey Kong argument. And then there's this little bit where uh, Andy is talking about, uh, you know, Danny gets his OCD from you. And they're both like, I do not have OCD. And, like, that's all you really get in terms of, like, family history. The other yeah. thing I noticed is that both Danny and um, and Lenny both have a problem with people putting drinks down, not on yeah, coasters. Yeah. Which yeah. they call mats in England, apparently. Apparently. Which, like, I mean, that's not what obsessive-compulsive disorder is. Like, it... All right. No. It's, like, it's OCD, according to someone who watched Monk, but, like, didn't watch a lot of Monk. Yeah. <laughs> if you're only, you know, access to... Your only history of knowing what AC... Uh, what OCD is. <laughs> your only history of knowing what OCD is... Is the through worst someone mental disorder <laughs> through someone describing an episode of Monk to you, and they're like, "Yeah, I get it." Uh, ACDC uh, is a mental health disorder. Oh my god! I, I don't think they wrote the song "Mental Health." I don't remember who that was. Uh, quite right. Really? It's, it's, a, it's yeah. a good Clash song. Quite right. Quite right. Quite right. <laughs> <laughs> OC is, of course, what Naughty by Nate was down with. <laughs> OCD, Obsessive Christmas Disorder, as the shirts. So, like, we've talked about, like, the the tantalum mining subplot, but it's all that mining is in service of this thing called the Holocam, which is, you know, the new product from Ruben's technology. Holocam. (laughs) By the way, um, how how could, how, how, how did we not know that Lenny is the father of what must be, like, one of the richest people in Britain. Like, how how does that not enter into, like, his life? Like, it there's, like, a company named after him that's, like, doing these deals with the Chinese. How did the receptionist fuck up his name? That's a yeah. great point. Like, do you know who I am? <laughs> Steve, what was, was that Steve Jorbs? Am I hearing you right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Kanye, Kanye Weast. <laughs> but but yes, it's all in service to this holocam, which is a a, a a square that brings up a hologram computer. What I want to know is, how is that any more convenient or useful than a cell phone? No, 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 see, it's the future. What I was thinking about doing this was, like, what makes this inaccurate is that he's a rich person who invents and sells products, whereas most rich people don't. Well, this was their in companies uh, don't 2011. Do it's, it was before uh, the, the big Uber app boom of, well, you know, I'm not quite sure what Silicon Valley was doing, like, in... In 2010? 2010. That's but fair, like, but even then, if you were like an obscenely rich person, it you know it's more accurate for you to be sort of like anyone in American Psycho, where your job is oh a serial killer, 
Well, yeah, but like that wasn't his job. That was his hobby. Where your job is like wearing a suit and doing cocaine. You have like, like a briefcase, right? Yeah, you don't really. That's create... how you carry your cocaine around. <laughs> you don't really create anything. You're just sort of rich, and people, you know, give you money because they think you can make money. You kind of spit on the poor and stuff, you know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of job you get when you can't uh, get a job blogging for a uh, power tools company. That's a Tim Allen show where he did that, wasn't it? Yeah, that that's his job in Last Man Standing. Wow. I thought his job I, I, was standing. That's the title of the show. <laughs> Why the Last Man Standing? <laughs> Francis Fukuyama's End of History and the Last Man Standing. <laughs> I might hold off Nietzsche's The Last Man Standing for a joke on Twitter. Francis Fukuyama's The Last Comic Standing. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I'm trying to think of, like, other things to say about this. It kind of but... it kind of runs dry at some point, you know? Yeah. yeah. This was but... a very bland movie to me. But, but at the same time, there is this, like, weird escalation at the end where it's just throwing events at the wall, like, oh... <laughs> Mom died. Oh, she's going into labor. Oh, they're both going to die unless we pray in two religions. There was almost a car crash, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That guy seemed upset, you know? (laughs) And then everything's fine. Let's have Seder. And it's weird sort of sugar crash. It It was exceptionally fine at the end. Like, it was more fine than I felt like it should have been. Yeah, everyone was way too happy considering that Grandma had just died. Yeah. Also, like, like the, the how day long of. did they postpone that Seder? Because they had a funeral for their mom. They had a pregnancy. Uh, Jake got to his uh, school thing. Was that all in one day? The school thing was. You know what? I don't. I think the school thing was after the Seder. No, no, it was the same day, and I remember. Because yeah, he got into the car. Yeah, there's like, we're going to have to be a little, we get, we're going to have to do the Seder a little later then. Yeah, like that. Later Seder. In a while, Crocodile. <laughs> See you later, Paruk Seder is going to be my new. <laughs> oh, man, that, I if, if I hadn't already typed in the Antifa Super Soldier Super Special for the title. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? No, that's going to be the title. Yeah, See you that's later, really good. Seder. <laughs> yeah i don't know oh also i'm pretty sure it's pesach not peruk see you later pesach seder after wild gentile <laughs> <laughs> done <laughs> set okay. and spike okay i i think we can move on to the ratings now uh then as our guest yeah you want a rating uh, we, we we do one for the film, one for Timothy Spall's performance, or Spall Fashion. Oh, right. Well, Spall Fashion is a solid seven for me. Out of, we do it out of five Spalls. Seven out of five Spalls. <laughs> okay, then. So, I know what the fuck I said. Solid seven. <laughs> solid seven Hawaiian shirts for Timothy Spall's fashion. Um, I would say the movie itself really can – I, can I do fractional amounts here? Or are we going like... Yes. All right. Yeah, Eric frowns on it, but I'm fine with it. It's an actual two and a half spalls out of five for the actual movie to me. 
Like it's a really, it's really 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> which I think it's actually a lot worse. I think it actually does not do well uh, critically, but you know. Yeah, I think it had like a 13 on Metacritic or a 33. Like for what it is, 31. I don't on think Metacritic. it's terrible. Um, mm-hmm. But I, it is like 5.3 on IMDb. Yeah, exactly. So like, so I'm, you know, I'm an, I'm an average Joe. I'm, I speak He's for your- the people. He's your average lunch ta- lunch pail nine to five, you know, Berkeley music student. You know me, <laughs> me and my Holy lunch shit, pail. Holy shit! It's actually a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. What? It's only got eighteen reviews though. Okay. So like, in fairness, there's no critical consensus. In fairness, the way Rotten Tomatoes does reviews like that is kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 entire idea of a Metascore is based on some odd assumptions. For yeah, because sure. cause it's it's not it's not like everyone who every critic who watched this movie would give it a zero out of ten. It's like all the people who watched it gave it negative reviews instead of there's some movies on IMDb that have zeros that are not on IMDb on uh, Rotten Tomatoes that have a zero percent that really don't deserve. This is where I get on my soapbox and talk about how Hellraiser Six Hellseeker was given a raw deal. Oh. <laughs> Uh, apparently, it's got a 40% audience score with an average rating of 2.9 out of 5. How does that So, work? like, the, the averages here are just very strange. Yeah, that's interesting. I would give Timothy Spall himself, in terms of his performance, I'd give him 3 out of 5 Spalls. Because there are those glimmers of, 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 of t- you know, kindly old Timothy Spall with a twinkle in his eye. Uh, he really, he brings the charm where it counts, but there are other parts where he just, he does seem to be sort of phoning it in. And oh just kind my of... god. Okay, before we go on with the Spall ratings. Yes. I'm gonna do a, uh, this is gonna be our, uh, pick your choice. With pick the, your with choice the, with for... The t- with the timber of that, oh my god, I'm hoping it is like, oh my god, you know, we have a new segment, it's the first thing ever on Spall Talk, it's a segment... Where, you know, I tell you guys that uh, Japan has attacked Pearl Harbor. This news is... <laughs> uh, That's a great I, weekly segment. <laughs> I, given what sparked that, it's it, it's well, it's not quite that world-shattering, but it is intense. Uh, pick your choice for uh, critic quotes from Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. Uh, Reuniting the Rubens may walk like a comedy and quack like a comedy, but despite the absurd extremes to which it takes the squabbling family formula, it inspires nary a chuckle. That is Carrie Lengel from Arizona Republic. Uh, She's right. Eric Hines from The Village Voice. What happens when you put a rabbi, a Buddhist monk, a high-strung capitalist, and a lesbian humanitarian together in the same room? Not comedy, it turns out. I think that one doesn't get any points because that was a joke in the movie. <laughs> Not very original, Village Voice. Good try. Yeah, come on. You're not, you know, you're trying to be the Robert Christ Gow of movies, but you're not hitting it. Or maybe you are. I've never read a Robert Christ Gow review. I don't know if they're good or not. This is one of the uh, fresher ones. Reuniting the Rubens is harmless, unspectacular comedy let down by a poor script and lightweight direction, which might have been more at home on a Sunday on ITV. It isn't the worst thing you'll see this year, but it will be difficult to remember. Yep. That's how I feel about that movie. That hit the nail right was, on the head, I think. That Beautiful. was Simon Gallagher of What Culture. Uh, here's the one that made me say, oh my god, Sam Bath of Fan the Fire, 
Oh, no, wait. Philip French of the UK Observer. Most people would rather spend five years in a Hamas dungeon than endure their company. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, Sam Bath from Fan the Fire. There are some films so bad they don't warrant her as one of them. Wow. That's incorrect. That's like when people... I've been saying this for years, but my official position is that the movie Space Jam is okay. And that if you say it's bad, you're overstating it. But at the same time, if you say it's good, you're overstating it. Uh, and that's Anthony how I feel about this the movie. Independent. <laughs> give me an oi, give me a vey. And... I didn't know that guy was so into the British hardcore scene. <laughs> and finally, Graham Young from the Birmingham Post. The film has its moments, but the score is so achingly intrusive... I felt I was suffering from Rubenoid arthritis. Oh my god! Oh. Right? Oh my god! Because at oh. first I was gonna be like, yeah, he's, you know, got that one right on the score, but like, I cannot give you any credit for Ruben, Rubenoid arthritis. <laughs> and Ooh. his name is Rubens. It's not. Yeah. It. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah. That that fucking Hamas dungeon line. Yeah, what the heck? Uh, in terms of standing out as like a, a a a hot quote, that Hamas dungeon one is my pick. But in terms of being accurate about the film, Simon Gallagher's on the money. Yeah, no, to... that was that was great. Okay, so Eric, what are your small ratings? Well, first of small, uh, I'm gonna say <laughs> I'll give the movie three out of five small. Directly in the middle, it's you know. It's not good. It's not bad. It is a thoroughly lukewarm, forgettable movie. It's the sort of a movie that you see, you know, I would say on an airplane, but I haven't been on enough airplanes that are playing movies enough that's accurate. But it really seems like a movie that you wouldn't seek out, that you would watch once, that it would come on TV, and then years later you'd be like, was that a movie or did I dream that? That sort of thing. So I'd give it three spalls, very forgettable, but not bad. Timothy Spall himself, I hate to give the man less than four spalls, but I'm going to have to give him a three on this one. Yep. He did, he, I don't know. He brought it at some point, but a lot of it felt kind of phoned in. For style, four to five spalls. It was a real good Hawaiian shirt, and then the rest of the movie, he's just sort of wearing business casual clothes, except when he's wearing this suit with the torn lapel. Oh, can I mention that, like, at the very end of the film, he uh, he's lounging on the deck of a cruise ship in a <laughs> full a suit scene. and a hat. A nice Panama hat like he was wearing in the Love Punch. Yes, but like... like real, uh, real uh, Bruce Campbell in Burn Notice type of outfit. <laughs> as dressed as you could be on a cruise ship. Yeah, and, and that's right before, like, some guy... Some, some is Oh my god! Some schlub like, in the hey. background. They pick him up and they're like, hey, it's your mother. She needs to see you right now. And he's like, whoa, 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 dude's in for a hell of a time. But he doesn't say that. He just thinks it. And, like, the guy's like, oh, she's she's always talking about Easter. <laughs> so so it's this weird sort of eternal recurrence where, like, time is a flat circle that is looped back to... <laughs> Old man gets news about his mother on a cruise ship. I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. What does it mean? It's like a comedic It Follows. <laughs> I don't I know. Think I, I found the ending follows. of It Follows pretty comedic. Timothy yeah, Spall, like, like chilling. Like I, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. This is going to be a tangent, but I saw It Follows recently, and I did Follow. not like It Follows. I, like, 
like when they actually interact with the creature itself and it turns out like it's not intangible it's just invisible like they're just they're just fighting kevin bacon and hollow man and like they they end up putting like a sheet over it before like shooting it and dumping it in a pool so it's literally just looking like a fucking halloween ghost <laughs> i i don't see what anyone sees in that fucking bee like people kept saying oh it's 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 the savior of modern horror and i'm like fuck you that what i haven't oh. seen the movie i have not seen the movie Partway, th- partway through it's this movie. It's an anti-recommendation like I did for High Rise. Partway through this movie, I was thinking, like, I'm going to make a joke about this being an adaptation of King Lear, but I don't know <laughs> enough about King Lear to know if that's true. And then another another one of his children shows up, and I'm like, hmm, that's too many. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, it's four children, like the four sons of Passover. There's one wise, there's one one simple, and one who doesn't know how to ask, but... I don't think the actual children here fall into that categorization. Yeah, you've got the wise one, who's the Buddhist, and the wicked one is the capitalist. Right. But the other two kind of don't. I Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the rabbi might... No, he's not necessarily the simple one. Yeah, that's kind of mean, right? Yeah, that, that seems kind of mean. Oh, we didn't talk about his whole thing about kosherizing the house. No, like, I guess we didn't. He's got, like, this weird, like... Uh, he's got like these like spe- super specifications you have to go through. It just it can't just be regular kosher. It has to be like super kosher. In fairness, and... he doesn't have those restrictions. The Lord does. Well, yeah. It's not like he made this up and he's just being finicky. Well, yes, That's yes. That's what God told him. But like his entire subplot, where he's like arguing with his dad about who who's gonna lead the seder. Because apparently Lenny keeps forgetting the the bit about the rabbis. It it feels like it's plucked out of like a mid tier Coen Brothers script. Like recently, uh, the new George Clooney movie came out, Suburbicon, and that's based on a script they wrote like literally after Blood Simple, so it's like thirty years old, and apparently it's a huge piece of shit. Ooh, disturbing. So, like, starring that, fucking Shia LaBeouf. <sighs> But like, it's not like that bad. It's not like here's a here's a here, here's a black family moving in a, into a white neighborhood that doesn't actually connect to the actual plot at all, and it's just there as like a side detail. But mm-hmm. it's like it, it's like a directed version of a, a serious man, and like of, of the many films this is trying to be, that one could have been better. That is fair. How would you rate this film though? Um, I'm gonna agree with you. It's it's a three. Yep. It's 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 kind of poorly put together. It, it's but it is a fun time despite that. It 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 is it is it is a strange little movie that I had fun watching. I I I I'll compare it to the Love Punch, which is a it's it's a similarly odd, obviously geared toward a particular demographic, which I am not in. Mm-hmm. This was definitely better than the Love Punch. I'll have to say. Oh yeah yeah, like. The love punch didn't have Nick. Oh, sweet Nick. But at the same time, Timothy Spall was more fun in the love punch than he wasn't. For sure. Yeah. And uh, for um, Spall himself, I was going to give him four Spalls, but... Really? Okay. But But after, like, hearing you guys... Yeah, I'm going to move that down to three. He is... He is doing a solid job here with a bad script and probably really in its direction. 
and it's it's a it's a serviceable role, some charming line delivery, and it's not much more. Oh, wow. And, and for small fashion, uh, yeah, I'm gonna agree and say it's a four, mainly for that that final suit, that that sort of bird notice-y type suit. I, I did like that suit. Yeah, with the nice Panama hat. Yeah. The hat really tied yeah. it all together. Yeah, it's much better than the terrible hat he wore in Love Punch. That hat tied the outfit together, did it not? <laughs> uh, but now that we've now that we're done with our ratings, let's move on to our recommendations. Ben, would you like to start us off with one recommendation? I would, I would, I would, and I would like to recommend um, the nineteen ninety one movie Point Break, starring Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. Um, which was, uh, have either of you, are you familiar? Oh, yes. Um, I've not seen the movie itself, but there is a very good uh, video of pro wrestler Dean Ambrose doing lines from that movie with the voices of Dusty Rhodes and Terry Funk, and it's a hilarious video. That's what I will say about the movie Point Break. If nothing else, it is endlessly quotable. Every single line in this movie is quotable, and it's, um, I mean... In a similar way, I think, not, I mean, in a comparable way, it's a movie that doesn't really know what it wants to be, in that it's an action, crime, drama, romance thriller about surfing. (laughs) Um, But it's, I mean, I was introduced to it by my roommate um, here uh, at college, who refused to tell me anything about it (laughs) until we had watched it, um, because it is a movie that he and his friends back home in New Jersey endlessly quote at each other it's a sort of a cult classic for them (laughs) i haven't seen point break in ages the only things that i actually remember are the things that they mention in the film hot fuzz and also the scene at the end where he throws his badge into the ocean oh my god brilliant brilliant and like and then like the big old like like 80s credit music comes in like right afterward (laughs) movies from 1991 um, but which is still like kind of the 80s, you know? Oh, for sure. I, I'm really surprised that the director of Point Break went on to win an Oscar for. Did Hurt Locker win Best Picture? Or yes, was that? Did. I, okay. Because I, I was thinking it was either that or Zero Dark Thirty. The Put Locker. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. This, uh, this movie is a wild time. Uh, it features maybe my favorite Keanu Reeves performance other than Bill and Ted. Ah, that's which fair. is, I think, even now my favorite Keanu Reeves performance. Uh, which Bill and Ted? Oh, the first one. I, I was trying to make sure you weren't one of those people like, yeah, my favorite movie, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. <laughs> that's, they took it in a weird direction. I'm still not sure how I feel about it, to be honest. As I know, one of my favorite jokes from the TV show Third Rock from the Sun, yeah. featuring a very young Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is a friend, they're all aliens. Uh, French Stewart comes in and he goes, guys, what's our favorite movie? And they all go, Arthur 2 on the rocks. And he's like, do you guys know there's an Arthur 1? And everyone's like, oh my god. That makes so much sense. I want to meet someone who's like that, but with Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Imagine only knowing that bogus journey exists. (laughs) They're still talking about making a third one. Do you know that? No, why? They're, they might make a third Bill and Ted now. Uh, George Carlin, dead AF. I know, man. <laughs> Rip. But, like... Rip in oh. pieces. But, by the way, speaking of um, uh, Bill and Ted, 
Alex Winter. Yeah. He directed a movie in the 90s called Freak, which is one of the hidden gems of, like, weird 90s comedy. I don't think it was ever... I'm not... It was a massive failure at the box office, but it is amazing. Neil, is that that a wreck? Should I... Should I check that out? Oh my god, it is such a wreck. Cool, I will... I, it, it's on YouTube. It is on YouTube in its entirety. Great, you know it's good when it's on YouTube in its entirety. For sure, for sure. Um, but Point Break is... I mean, it's, it is, it's almost difficult to describe. A lot of the lines don't really feel like things that normal people would say, which I think is why it's so quotable. Um, <laughs> and it just, I mean since i didn't know anything about it going in just the places they decide to go in the movie uh are just and i don't want to spoil it too much either um but it spans like greater geographic areas greater thematic areas greater like time periods than i ever expected going in and also gary Busey's a nutcase oh, so <laughs> it really really worth your time uh, really, no matter what you like in film. I, Wikipedia describes Freaked as a American science fantasy black comedy film. Oh, boy. Which, just that melange of genres is always a good sign. Webster's Dictionary defines Freaked as... <laughs> <laughs> the, the verb to freak. The past tense of the verb to freak. Past tense, frook. <laughs> Pretty frook, Legit. dude. Legit, I was writing an essay uh, about a week or so ago, a little bit more, and I was I could not remember the past tense of seek. Do y'all know <laughs> what it is? Sought. It's it's sought. It's not suck. <laughs> I didn't write suck, and I was like, that's definitely not correct. Suck. It's sought. Doesn't make any sense, but How it many- is. How many levels of irony are you on? Oh, about five or six. You were like a little baby. Watch this. Suck. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Entertainment Weekly described the film as having more laughs than a month of Saturday Night Live. The New York Times hailed it as one of the top comedies of the 90s, and John Krupaluski, the creator of the Ren and Stimpy show, called it the funniest movie in years. Wow. Wow. Oh! Apparently it's on DVD and Blu-ray. Oh, good. So oh, if you if so if you like the version you can see on YouTube, you can buy the high def version. If you like that version, you can keep that version. Keep that version. Oh, uh, it's also got Keanu Reeves in an uncredited role as a Wolfman. Oh, excellent. Because Alex would never do something without Keanu. <laughs> yeah. Friends forever. Alex the Wolfman, the sequel to Alex the Postman. Or Keanu, uh, the my wolf mistake. man, I mean. I'll get to My work. mistake. He's not a wolf man. He is Ortiz the dog boy. That's very different. Yeah. That's I so I don't different. Know what that means. But yeah, it is It is wild. It's also got Bobcat Goldthwaite. And, oh, Randy Quaid plays the villain Elijah C. St- Elijah C. Skuggs, who is this mad scientist who works out of, like, a carnival. Mm. And it involves a scene where Alex Winter delivers a, uh... A monologue from I want to say King Lear with like uh, commentary, like subtitles provided by a member of the audience who's like some sort of scholar. It's so weird. This seems like a it, like experimental almost. Mm-hmm. 
Oh. And I, it is, it is a mind blower. I will definitely check that out. But actually, that reminds me, um, you're mentioning that Keanu Reeves was in this. Also reminded me of, um, in Point Break, um, John C. McGinley, who would go on to, you know, most notably play Dr. Cox in Scrubs, appears in Point Break as sort of a proto-Dr. Cox. <laughs> he's like, he's a higher up in the FBI. Our main character, Keanu, plays Johnny Utah, former uh, Ohio State Buckeye quarterback turned FBI agent. It gets better. Um, and one of the higher ups in the FBI who sort of likes to yell at people is John C. McGinley. Um, and he's incredible. And it's it's very interesting because you really can just pretend he's Dr. Cox Hell in yeah. the FBI. And it works really well. Um, oh, also, there's bank robbers who wear masks of ex-presidents. Banksy robbers. <laughs> nice. Okay, this is the last thing I'm going to say about Freak. Yes, go ahead. But if you're worried that it's like a big time investment, don't worry. It's only 80 minutes long. In and out, short and sweet. That's it. Oh, yeah. Point Break's pretty long, but it's worth it. All right. uh, Eric, your first recommendation? Go for it. First of all, I'm going to hit you with a movie by the name of For Your Consideration. Uh, Unless you called that. I don't remember. Neil? Yeah, it's a a Christopher Guest movie uh, that is a mockumentary a mockumentary about the uh, awards consideration for a film called uh, Home for Purim. Yes, but it's one of the movies in the grand tradition of movies that I really enjoy that are about making movies, and especially the subset in which the producers uh, make a lot of changes that the directors are not happy with. In this one, they decide that it's too Jewish, and it gets changed to Home for Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, Oh my god. In that vein, also, if you if you can find it, because it's very difficult to Google, if you can find the show Episodes, I'll also recommend that, which, but I talked about that at length in an earlier episode, so I'm not going to talk anymore about that. My other recommendation is that thing that I mentioned earlier, and Ben was like, is that going to be a recommendation? And I said, sure, but I don't remember what that was. <laughs> so just rewind to where it's convenient. I just put episodes in as your second recommendation. That that other one can be a secret recommendation. And my last and final rec, uh, this Saturday is Armistice Day, November the 11th, you know, commemorating the end of World War One. I, I believe it's the 99th anniversary of the Armistice. And every year when Memorial Day comes around, I, in commemoration, watch Blackadder Goes Forth. Uh, which is about World War One, and also has one of the best final episodes of any comedic series that I've ever seen. So check that out. All right. So for my first recommendation, other than free, uh, I'm gonna. Re- well, yes, I'm going to recommend uh, the game Yakuza Four, which is a game in the Yakuza series where you play a yakuza. Nice. And um, it's. From what I understand so far, it's split into four parts. I know there are, like, four playable main characters. Maybe there are more parts than four and you return to some playable characters. But imagine Grand Theft Auto if it wasn't a huge pain in the ass to, like, do anything. And also you could just go to a bar and play pool in between missions. Like, you can go to a bar and play pool. You can go bowling. You can go to a hostess club's. It's just a lot of weird things you can do in Japan 
while intermittently checking in on this hot-blooded Yakuza story. <laughs> I've recently started the, uh, the second part, which starts with a prison break and goes on to involve uh, trying to uh, go through the world of the homeless to find a top-secret information dealer because uh, you're trying to find uh, your old boss because you've been in prison for 25 years for uh, killing 18 men with six, uh, six shooters in what is a fantastic uh, shootout scene. This just hulking guy comes in with, like, two guns in his hand, two guns, like, tucked into his belt, and I think, like, two guns in his mouth and just goes through the restaurant just shooting, like, people, like, two shots to this guy, two to this guy, and, and just using his 36 bullets to kill these 18 people, and it's a wild cutscene. Wow. There's two bullets per person. Little thing we like to call math. A little bit less than. Oh, no, wait, yeah, yeah. For some reason, I was thinking 36 divided by 2 was 16. Don't know why I thought that. Nah, nah. Because you like to Good be thing wrong. I'm not a math major. Same. Same. Uh, and um, <laughs> I was going to move to Ben's second uh, thing, but apparently Eric is making it so we're all doing our rec- all, our rec- all our recommendations. So I'll do my other re- recommendation and then rules. go back to Ben for his second. Yeah, to hear the rituals. Um, my other recommendation is going to be another movie about a family coming together after a, uh, one of their parents has a heart attack, and that would be The Royal Tenenbaums, a movie that is very sure what it wants to be and very good at being that. It is one of Wes Anderson's best movies, and that's coming from me who's a big fan of Wes Anderson, so if you're not a big fan of Wes Anderson, it might not be your thing. So it's a very Wes Anderson-y, Wes Anderson movie? Yes, yes. Wild Wild West. With Will Smith. It's one of his most Wes Wes Anderson-y movies in a good way, unlike uh, The Darjeeling Limited, which is one of his most Wes Anderson-y movies in a bad way. That movie sucks, don't watch it. Uh, But yeah, Ben, your second recommendation? Absolutely. I was going to recommend Super Mario Odyssey, but I think everyone already has. Uh, in the world, because it's very good. Uh, instead, I'm going to talk a little bit about an album that I heard uh, just recently by a band called The Village Bicycle. Uh, they are local to Cleveland, Ohio, which is where I am from. And uh, my group, Flipcoin, uh, did get the opportunity to play with them once or twice uh, to play shows with them. Uh, very talented people, a four-piece uh, featuring Elizabeth Kelly on guitar and vocals, Kara Vance on keyboard and backing vocals, Ty Kramer on bass, and Devin Rendazzo on drums. Um, all very talented musicians. Uh, their new record is called Terraforma. Uh, it follows up an EP that they released last year called Fits and Starts, um, which is the first time I heard them, uh, was from that EP. Uh, my friend Tom saw them live grabbed a tape and played it for me uh in my car one day and they immediately became my favorite band from ohio of all time sorry devo sorry the black keys i guess um you know what my favorite band from ohio is what's that eric Flipcoin. oh buddy much appreciated flipcoin.bandcamp.com um flipcoin.bandcamp.com flipcoin.bandcamp.com classic um good gag 
the Village Bicycles new record, Terraforma, is incredible. It's sort of, it's punk rock music. It's sort of uh, got some psychedelic influences. Um, some kind of wacky stuff goes on. Uh, they recorded it up in New York, and uh, they did a great job. And it's just really smart, well-put-together, emotive music uh, with, you know, pop sensibilities and, like, some catchy tunes. And it's just a, it just feels good as a whole piece, you know? Like, there's a lot of uh, records that I like a lot that are just sort of collections of songs. This is not one of those. It really flows very well. And uh, you can find The Village Bicycle at thevillagebicycle.bandcamp.com or wherever you prefer to stream or download your music. They're on pretty much everything. And uh, they, Band I believe, title. Uh, they might be. I'm not really sure where how they do their distribution, but there are, like, services if you're in a band that you can kind of like put your stuff at, like give your stuff to them and they'll put it on a bunch of different stuff. Um, so they might be on title. Uh, if that's what you prefer. They're um, on title. Are they really? Yeah. Good for them. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's wonderful. I believe they just kicked off their tour. So, uh, they might be in a city near you this coming, uh, couple right. weeks. There you go. All right, and that's our recommendations. Let's move on to our plugs. Ben Walgamuth, where can we find you on the internet? Oh, man. Uh, you can find my Twitter, at uh, Ben Walg. That's B-E-N-W-O-L-G. Um, you can find my band at flipcoin.bandcamp.com. Flipcoin.bandcamp.com. Thanks. Flipcoin.bandcamp.com. Uh, check it out. We, um, you know, sort of on hiatus right now, being that I'm in Boston and Tom is in Portland, Oregon. Um, but you know, we're putting some stuff together. We're sort of, sort of working toward some new things and I'm excited about it. Uh, so you can find that there. You can also follow us on Twitter at band for everyone. You can like us on facebook.com slash flipcoin band, I think. Um, and, uh, I think that's about uh, all I've got. Where can I, uh, where can I find you two? Eric, would you like to go first? You can find me upon the internet at Eric is a joke on Twitter. You can listen to my other radio show, Funkhouse Berlin. You can check it out on Funkhouse.stream or at funkhouseberlin.bandcamp.com. Funkhouseberlin.bandcamp.com. <laughs> what we're currently working on is, uh, you know, we just had an interview with some striking SSAs, which are service and support administrators. Uh, in How Portage. striking were they? <laughs> Good joke. They were uh, on strike because the Portage County Board of Developmental Disabilities is not willing to negotiate with them for a fair contract. So please help out with that if, in any way you can. If you're in the Portage County area, uh, get in contact with them. Get in contact with Kent Young Democratic Socialists of America who are working with them on that. Um, if you live out of state and so you can't really help physically – one of the members of the board also owns three businesses in downtown Kent. Uh, they're called Off the Wagon, Kent Cheesemonger, and Red Letter Days. And if you bug them about it, they will block you. And Funkhouse Berlin is doing this little thing where if you tweet at, you know, Kent Cheesemonger, which is at Kent Cheese, which I love, That's uh, real good. at at Off Wagon and at RLD Kent. Tell them to come back to the table with, uh, you know, to negotiate for a fair contract, and all three of them block you. You'll get a special Funkhouse Berlin prize. That's very exciting. So yeah, so do that. Support striking SSAs, and uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. All right. Real. 
You can find me on Twitter at F-U-C-K-I-N-A-L-P-A-M-A-R-E. That's fucking Alpamare. It is a uh, convoluted ref- wrestling reference that every time I have to explain it, it, it's a little bit more embarrassing. Hey, Neil, could you explain that to me? Okay, so um, it's a reference to – so this wrestler, Claudio Castagnoli, uh, when he was on the Indies, he had a finisher called the Alpamare Water Slide, which is a reference to a uh, water slide in Switzerland where he is from. And when I was, like, watching his stuff, it's a very exciting move, so, like, fucking up there! And that's, like, why I changed it when I was like, oh, do I really want my name on all these bad tweets? Right. Let's, let's put, let's change my at from my actual name to some wrestling reference. Wait, what wrestler was this? Uh, Claudio Castagnoli, a.k.a. Cesaro. Oh. A.k.a. Antonio Cesaro. Okay, all right, because I was like, yeah, I, I, I'm a good brother. I know your favorite wrestler. It's Antonio Cesaro. And then you said whoever the fuck that was, and I'm like, what? That's not... <laughs> Claudio Castagnoli, a.k.a. Leave the gun, take the Castagnoli. <laughs> That's all I got, folks. Yeah, you can find me there on Twitter. And my pinned tweet is a collection, mark my words, I might be... You can download that for... You could pay me money. I don't... I have had trouble getting itch.io to actually send the payments from there to my PayPal. So maybe just download it for free. And, like, react to it. Like, I, I want to know if people like it or not. Nope. All right, rock and roll. All right. Uh, thank you for being on, Ben. Neil, Eric, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, we'll be back in two weeks. We have not decided what we will be watching, but we'll try to Probably. put it on the um, Small Talk Twitter. Uh, small is life. I think, I think, that, that, that's fall, folks. Could be so easy.
Yeah.